This podcast is for educational purposes only and provides general home lending information. For specific home lending advice about your circumstances, contact a Chase Home Lending Advisor for more information. For more information on the various home buying resources mentioned in this podcast, please visit chase.com forward slash affordable. Hey, I'm Nadeska, welcoming you back to season two of Beginner to Buyer. Beginner to Buyer is powered by Chase Home Lending, and you can get lots of helpful tools and resources to buy your first home by visiting beginnertobuyer.com. So I'm assuming you tuned into our last episode, which means you heard from Ariel Figueroa, who works at Modern Money Education. She gave us a very thorough financial blueprint for home ownership. And as she pointed out, there's so many different ways that a plan can come together. For example, lots of people assume that you have to put 20% down, which is not always the case. So in this episode, Sarita Battles, who is the Managing Director and the Head of Community and Affordable Lending at Chase, is going to help me to debunk some of those very common myths surrounding home buying and home ownership. But first, we're going to check in with a homeowner who definitely did a lot of research before starting the home buying process to make sure he wouldn't fall for any of those common myths that we'll hear about later on. So my name is Dave. I live in Minneapolis with my partner, Anna, and our dog, Marvel. like to run, bike, you know, uh, take the dog out hiking um, and explore, you know, the new uh, Minneapolis and Minnesota surroundings now that we're living out here. That's really awesome. And um, when did you and your wife and Marvel decide that it was time to start seriously looking for your first home? Um, I would say probably two to three weeks into the pandemic. So pretty, pretty early on, you know, we realized, okay, we might need a little bit more space. Um, and so we started looking around the DC metro area where we were living at the time. Um, but then more seriously, we're considering uh, a move out to Minnesota where we'd be closer to family. Um, and also just the, the cost of living was a little bit uh, more palatable. You mean a lot more palatable. The East Coast yeah. is so expensive. It's so expensive. Okay. I can't blame you guys for doing that. Now, um, I don't know if you, you were like me. I'm sort of always browsing Zillow and Redfin just to check out property. So were you one of those people or did you guys only really start looking once you decided that you were serious and wanted to buy? So uh, Anna, my uh, fiance, was definitely more into the window shopping and browsing. Um but we balanced each other out where maybe she was looking more frequently, uh, but uh, we would always, you know, share houses that we thought were cool. Um, but at the beginning, it was more uh, the house in its entirety, as opposed to understanding what components of, you know, the house we liked, you know, what was it that uh, really drew us in. Um, so we had been window shopping for a while, though, to to say the least. <laughs> so tell me how you guys got on the same page, right? Because uh, as a couple, it's important to come up with a list of your must-haves and some of the things you're willing to compromise on. And that's not always matching up exactly for, for each of you. So what did uh, you guys do to get on the same page? So the thing that we first tried was just diving right in, um, you know, and doing tours, uh, working with a realtor uh, to look at places and uh, learn pretty quickly that we had different approaches. So, um, you know, after just some frustrating trips and discussions, you know, after saying like, well, I like this house, I don't like that house. Um, you know, we try to make some key list, you know, of requirements where we could try to break it down to understand what it is we liked and maybe why we didn't like it as opposed to just, I don't like the house. Um, so it, it first started as just a basic list. Um, but then it kind of, 
uh, morphed into a more analytical tool just because uh, I kind of that's how my brain thinks uh, right wrong or indifferent um, but yeah it was uh, it was a lot of discussions usually in the car after seeing the house um, that uh, that got us to that point so tell me, um, I had a chance to actually take a look at, at the scorecard, which is really amazing, and it's pretty specific. So is this sort of a, a living, breathing document? Do you guys update it as you go, or has it been pretty static since you started? Oh, I think we changed it after every house that we visited, um, and sometimes before we would even make the visit. Um, so we learned that it was important to kind of run through this list before we even reached out to our realtor um, because half the time we get to a house and realize that something that we thought wasn't a big deal uh, really was you know kind of a deal breaker for us and so we wanted to try to waste uh, the least amount of our time especially like our realtor's time who you know had to set up these appointments and drive to meet us and um if we walked away feeling frustrated, you know, that wasn't, uh, wasn't going to help us in the long run. And where are you in the process uh, currently? So currently, uh, as far as a success story goes, it's pretty good timing. Uh, we just closed on a house on the 31st. Um, so we're officially in the, you know, the homeowner stage. Uh, Congrats. Right Thank you. So tell me, um, you guys also are having a summer wedding. So those are two of the biggest life events a person can have, especially when it comes to budgeting as well, buying a first home uh, and having a wedding. So how did you budget for both of those things? So Anna and I have been together uh, since about 2017, and we've had a shared budget um, since probably about 20, the summer of 2019. Um, so we've we've had a lot of experience like communicating with each other um, on, you know, finances and what our priorities are and, and why, you know, those are our priorities. You know, what about uh, who we are as people and how we grew up, you know, dictates our relationship with money. Um, so we've been able to use a, a budgeting tool that kind of helped us uh, manage those priorities. And it's basically just like the envelope method, you know, where you, you tuck money away to give it a job right as soon as you, you, are, uh, you earn the money. Um, so we had been saving for the house for a really long time. We've been saving for the wedding for a really long time. Um, so pretty much right now, we've just got some uh, larger than I like uh, virtual envelopes with money uh, just waiting to kind of do its job. So it really hasn't been that stressful because we were proactive in, in setting the money aside. Proactive and you're obviously both great planners. So once it came time to go through the pre-approval process, did you find that pretty smooth? Yeah, um, between working with you know potential lenders um, and just that whole process overall, it was really straightforward. Um, we had also gone through a first-time home buyer class um, that was sponsored by uh, the state of Minnesota, which was helpful. Um, and we were kind of joking about it that uh, you know our lenders and obviously everybody else want to make it really easy because at the end of the day. It's a lot of money that we're giving them. So you'd be surprised how helpful people will be when you know there's a 30 or 15 year mortgage on the line. That's great that you felt so prepared. That's really helpful. I mean, so during this entire process, so you said pre-approval was pretty much a breeze. Once it came time to start putting in offers and going back and forth, how was that for you? Were there any surprises or any challenges along the way? So the offer process was definitely the most um frustrating uh as far as like a learning curve um 
the lack of transparency in the buying process and kind of that blind bidding um, was really, really tough for both of us. Um, I also come from a contracting background where most of the contracts that I worked on were open book. Um, so I was really used to transparency in very large transactions. And so looking at a house, um, guessing you know what it was uh, worth to us based on the list price, and then just sending in an offer only to find out weeks later or maybe the week later that we didn't get it and no explanation as to why, um, at least right away, was pretty uh, demoralizing at the at the start. And were you and your fiance looking at this as uh, more of a starter home or, or a forever home or somewhere in between? So we were um, really trying to look at it from like, this is our uh, five to 10 year home. Um, it's really hard to predict where you're going to be um, in five years. I mean, almost five years ago, I hadn't even met my fiance and I definitely would not have imagined this is where I'd be today. Um, so trying to like fast forward that to say, hey, let's just worry about what we can control right now um, and then write stuff down for the future and see if it still makes sense to take a look at, you know, in a year or six months or three years from now. That's great. Uh, you are great planners, but you understand that you also can't fully predict life. So would you say then that you ended up with the absolutely essential things that you needed for you and your fiance in this new home? Yeah, we we were definitely pretty lucky in that. Um, I would say there are a lot of homes that would have met that, uh, but it was hard to narrow down to figure out what those essentials were. And I think that's what we learned in the process is that there are going to be a few things that um, you really want to focus in on. And it might be a range, you know, of like how big is the yard, you know, how big is big. Um, but if if you know that that's what you want, you can weed out a lot of other houses and really focus on the good stuff. So yeah, it's it's going to meet our needs. Um, you know, we already got a huge wall in the basement dedicated and filled up with sticky notes at this point of things that we want to, you know, change at different parts of uh, different times anyway. Um, but uh, it's, it's definitely exciting uh, for now. So what would you say that home ownership means to you, especially on the verge of getting married? Yeah. Um, I mean, home ownership for me is kind of investing in yourself um, and allowing yourself to kind of ex uh, extend your priorities and like who you are as a person into something physical. Um, you know, putting a piece of furniture in an apartment is one thing, um, but completely changing the function of a space or the flow of a space or uh, the design of a backyard, um, it it's, it's easier to express yourself. Um, in a way that's more permanent too. You know, it's a slower pace. It's you've got time to think about things and uh, be more methodical in the planning as opposed to moving in, getting things situated, and then having to think about renewing the lease or moving again. Uh, so it's it's to me about kind of slowing down a little bit, um, but not to be boring or unexciting, but to be <laughs> um, just better preparing for like, I don't know, what life's going to throw at you and what you want your life to be. 
Absolutely. Well, look, you know, as you guys approach your wedding, I think it's pretty cool that you already have had this really cool, I'm sure sometimes stressful journey uh, together. You, you learn and you grow as a couple. Looking back, were there any parts of, that were fun or, you know, did you come up with a lot of any ways to deal with maybe some of the more stressful aspects that you would share with other first time buyers? Yeah, I mean, um, it was definitely stressful for sure. I'll just you know, reiterate that and be like, yeah, there were parts where, you know, we got in arguments, you know, we're human. Um, you know, everybody has their different, uh, different levels of stress that they can handle or deal with or mitigate in different ways. But, um, I think for us, the, the way that we tried to approach it was slowing down. So if we found a house that we, you know, saw virtually online and we liked it, um, we would do the scorecard you know, run down the list, compare our scores, talk about why we scored it the way it was, not what the score was, just, you know, hey, what, where are we different? Um, and then sleep on it. For folks going through the same process and myself, if I'm going to go through it again, it would be just take a breath, um, you know, sleep on it. There, there are so many houses out there that if you feel like you're going to rush through uh, the process, it's, you're just setting yourself up to, you know, future buyer's remorse. And it's just not worth it. Um, you know, take the time. You can still go through that process in three or four days um, by taking even with those breaks in between. That's great advice. It's a very emotionally charged uh, process, too. So congrats on the new home. Uh, congrats in advance on your wedding. It's a really, really exciting year for you. So I'm glad that you took the time out to share your story with us. Yeah, thanks. And and honestly, thanks so much for doing this podcast. I mean, we, we listen to season one, um, usually on the car ride home from tours uh, <laughs> with each each phase of the project we were in. And sometimes we listen together, sometimes we listen separately, but um, just hearing other people's stories and hearing that, hey, this is what the process looks like uh, was honestly re very reassuring. Um, so thank you for doing this in, in the first place. We're so glad that season one was helpful to Dave and Anna, and now it's very cool that they're paying it forward by sharing their own story. They certainly took a really organized approach to their home buying journey, and it sounds like that paid off for them. Since they're such good planners, it was really interesting for me to hear Dave talk about his views on a starter home versus a forever home. Now, is this idea of a forever home just a myth? Or is that something people should really be thinking about when they're buying for the first time? Joining me now to debunk that and other home buying myths is Sarita Battles, Managing Director and Head of Community and Affordable Lending at Chase. Sarita, it's so nice to have you back for season two of the podcast. You gave us so much great information last season that on this episode, I hope you're down for this. I would love if you could help us to debunk some of the most common myths about buying and owning a home. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, so I know this is not as sensational as truth or dare, but we're going to call this game truth or myth. And I'm going to start with some assumptions that first-time buyers often have about purchasing a home. You tell me if it's truth or if it's a myth and why. So here we go. The first one is that you need to have a 20% down payment to buy a home. So that is a myth. And the reason it's a myth is because I believe that everyone feels like they have to um, have a lot of money to put down on a home. I think the least amount that you can put down on a home is about 3%. And we currently have a program called the Chase Dreammaker product that allows you to put down 
But the one thing that I would share is that the more that you put down on your home, the more you seed equity into the home. And in some cases, based on how much you put down, it can also impact the rate that you receive for the home. And so again, at least it's 3%. But again, the more you put down, the more you can start to impact your rate uh, from a positive standpoint. Thank you for that. Because our next one is still on the same uh, train of thought that a lot of people think that they always have to stretch their budget to put down a bigger uh, down payment. So it's okay to stretch sometimes, but you don't want to stretch past your limit, right? So would you say that's true or also a myth? That's also a myth. So definitely don't stretch yourself. I think this is one of those times where it is always important to make sure that you're working with your local banker or local loan officer to ask these specific questions. Because again, you don't want to put off what you can do today, you know, just by assuming that you have to stretch or that you have to put 20% down. Again, uh, I've seen products as low as 3% down um, and obviously 5%, 10%. And so whatever you have, make sure that you're having a conversation with your loan officer at the same time so that they will be able to give you some guidance based on the different products and programs that they have. The other thing that I would also say, um, just with respect to this, is that even when you're thinking about putting your down payment on a home, whether it's 3% or, or 20%, there are down payment assistance programs, so it does not all have to come from your pocket. There are programs that are out there, state and local programs that one may qualify for that will care for all of your down payment and in some cases your closing costs. And so again, it is definitely good to be prepared to definitely talk to a loan officer, do your research around those things, but know that that is a myth that you have to put 20% down. Thank you. That was really, really helpful info. And I'm glad that in that answer, you actually mentioned closing costs, because this takes us to our next one. A lot of first-time buyers also assume that the down payment is the only money you need at closing. Truth or myth? That is also a myth. So there is your down payment, and then there is closing cost. And the closing cost are all things that are the cost of doing the loan. So it would be the title company, your taxes and insurance, those types of things, those are like baked into your closing costs. So down payment brings down your uh, loan to value ratio. And so therefore you can get 100% financing. So if the home is $100,000, 100% financing is $100,000. But if you want to put, let's say if you put 1% down, that's $1,000, 2%, 2,000, 3%, $3,000. So again, the down payment is going towards your principal or the total amount for the home. The closing costs are the fees associated with doing the loan. So it's the title, it's the taxes and insurance, it is your application fees and, and things of that nature. So it's the fees associated with doing the home purchase. All right. So again, um, for first time buyers, so we talked already about the down payment. And here's something else that's always front of mind. Um, tell me, is it truth or a myth that you need to have great credit to buy a home? I would say that that is a myth. But I'm also going to uh, say that it's always good to have good credit. But I would say that mm -hmm. it's a myth. I think today, 
a lot of folks are feeling like they got to have a 750 or higher credit score in order to purchase a home. And so Mm -hmm. when you think about that, there's options and opportunity in that. One thing that I would say is that the lower your credit score, it does impact the rate that you may receive for the loan. And so again, not that you have to hold, you know, like not participate in the purchasing process. You can get a home at a 620 credit score or higher, but the higher your credit score, the better the rate is that you receive. Okay. And now this next one, I think um, especially seems to affect millennials. This is a big problem for them. Um, A lot of them think that you can't buy a home if you have student loans. Truth or myth? That's a myth. (laughs) So you can have a student loans and, and still purchase a house. I think the thing to remember is that when we start to look at your debt to income ratio, so it's looking at all of your debt and then dividing them by your income. But when you look at that, your student loans will be in that debt ratio, that debt to income ratio, because it would be considered debt that you have. And so the main thing is just to make sure that when you're looking at your debts across the board, understand that your student loan will be a part of that debt equation. And obviously, when we look at your student loan debt, there are a couple of things that we do look at. I think from an underwriting standpoint, I do believe that we typically or most lenders will typically look at 1% of that student loan debt. And I believe that there are some other products and programs, I believe it's on the FHA side, where they will take whatever your payment is for that student loan debt. So just remember that payment for your student loan debt or that 1% of the student loan itself will be incorporated in your debt-to-income ratio. Okay, great. That's really, really helpful. Um, And for our next one, I think there's sometimes a bit of confusion um, between the difference between uh, getting pre-qualified for a mortgage and getting pre-approved. So can you help us out here? Um, Is getting pre-qualified better than getting pre-approved? So I will tell you that is a myth or it's not true. So actually you want to get pre-approved. So pre-qualified is just uh, you giving us information or giving the lender information about your income, your assets, those types of things. And then based on what you've said, then we might be able to pre-qualify you for a loan. But the pre-approval is actually taking it a step further. We, you actually send in your information. So if it's a W-2 or if it's tax return, so on and so forth, it actually goes to an underwriter and the underwriter will underwrite that loan based on all of the information that you've provided and they will give you a pre-approval. And it's usually a pre-approval, but it might have some conditions, like you might have to provide some things before you close, so on and so forth. But that pre-approval is something that you get a letter, you are able to walk out and say, I have my pre-approval letter You can show that um, to the seller to let the seller know that you have been pre-approved by a lender to purchase a home. And it's always just a better circumstance when you can show someone that you've been pre-approved versus pre-qualified because that pre-approval is an underwriting approval. One of the most important parts of uh, purchasing a home is, of course, uh, deciding on the type of mortgage you're going to get. And I think a lot of first-time buyers assume that you have to get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Is that true? So, no, that's a myth. And so you have the ability to get 
different types of terms for your mortgage. And, and again, those terms may be contingent on your payment um, and what you're comfortable with paying. So there are 30-year mortgages, there are 20-year, 15-year. Uh, there are also opportunities to get an adjustable rate mortgage, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, you know, you, you pay, you know, um, for three years, the principal and or, or pay for three years, the interest, and then it goes into principal. But you have, they call them adjustable rates and it's three, five and seven years. And I believe there's a 10 year as well. And so you have those different terms and options. And again, this is one of the things that you definitely want to talk to your loan officer about because those terms are based on where you want your payment to be and how long you're thinking about staying in that home. And so those are factors that will determine what term you decide to get your mortgage in, whether that be an adjustable rate mortgage or whether it be fixed for 10, 15, 20 or 30 years. Sharita, thank you for helping us to uh, debunk some of the really common myths about buying your first home. Now, once you've crossed that bridge and you are a homeowner, uh, I think there's still some common misconceptions that people might have. So let's do the same thing. Truth or myth? Owning a home is a wealth building tool. Hmm. I'm going to say it's truth on that one. It is a means to building wealth because wealth is about your assets. So your home becomes an asset. And so it's how you leverage your home through ownership that really helps you to create wealth or generational wealth. And so, yes, it is definitely a tool for building wealth. All right. Thank you. And I, I understand there, there, there are layers of to your home being a wealth building tool. So I think we're going to get into some more of those right now. Uh, with this next one, for example, is the truth or myth that your home is guaranteed to go up in value? That would be a myth because your equity or the value of your home is contingent upon your location, where you are, where you've decided to purchase your home, the monies that you've, you've put down on your home, so the equity that you have built into the home, and then obviously the location. If your location is desirable, most often you'll start to see an uptick in the in the value of your home and that may take time so again you know i always think about the current market conditions today and the fact that rates have gone up and so therefore people are not buying homes as much and so as a result of that your home may stay stagnant for a while until the market turns again and you start to see more people buying homes, so on and so forth. And so again, um, I do believe that there's opportunities for your home to create additional value, but it's not automatic. So again, when you think about home ownership, you have to think about it from a long-term perspective and whether or not you're living in a location that would be desirable where people will look or seek to buy homes in your particular area. Absolutely. The location is something that unfortunately, once you buy, you can't change. But there are some things uh, that you can do to add value. But another common misconception or a common thought, I should say, is that all home improvement projects add value. Is that truth or a myth? I believe that's a myth. Um, but I do believe that you have the opportunity to look and do some research as to what buyers are looking for. And so in some cases, you know, you have some buyers that might be looking for pools. You have some that might be looking for an updated bathroom, uh, updated kitchen, those types of things. So just making sure uh, that the work that you put into the home, that it is the value that people are looking for. It's the thing that folks are looking for or that are desired um, by potential homeowners. 
always think about myself in this particular space. I added a closet or I expanded my closet. Um, I, <laughs> I have clothes all over the place. Um, and that expansion to my closet could add value or it could be one thing that's not adding value. Maybe it was the extra room that might have added value, so on and so forth. So definitely doing that research to understand, you know, what consumers or what potential home buyers are looking for, that should help you in your thought process around home improvements and things that you might want to do. So uh, truth or myth, you can worry about maintenance costs later, sometime down the line. Hmm. I would say that that's a myth. Um, you always have to think about maintenance. Um, that is one of the things like when you uh, become a homeowner that you have to keep that top of mind. Should something break down? Should uh, like uh, the and I, I can only give examples. My husband was doing the yard and when he was doing the yard, one of the rocks hit one of our windows. And at that moment, the window shattered. And so that's a, a maintenance problem that we now have to make sure that we have the means to be able to care for. So again, and that and that's that's probably like a, a big deal. But you could have a simple maintenance problem, like uh, for example, the toilet not flushing or something like that, and you need to have somebody come out or the plumber come out and do something or whatever the case may be. You have to be prepared for those types of things. That's why they always tell you to make sure that. Um, when you are purchasing a home, that you still have enough assets and savings to be able to take care of those things that are unforeseen. Absolutely. It wouldn't be a real homebuyer journey if you didn't have some plumbing maintenance to take care of at some point. It feels like that's just inevitable. So thank you for that. Um, here's another one for you. Um, home warranties are the same as home insurance, truth or myth? That's a myth. And um, I would say that, you know, anytime you're purchasing a home, it is always good to have a warranty. I mean, I think we think about things like that when we purchase cars. We always have like the maintenance warranty or a warranty just in case something happens. So it's always good to invest in a warranty um, so that if you have a big job or a big uh, thing that happens, hot water heater goes out, air condition, those types of things, those are big spins. And so you want to make sure that you have some level of home warranty that that can support you um, being able to take care of those things. Home insurance is something where if something were to happen, I, I live in Florida, and so we have bad weather here. We might have some hurricanes and that type of thing. And so my insurance should take care of, or what I typically do is make sure that I have the replacement value to be able to take care of anything that happens to my home. Flood insurance is a thing that, you know, doesn't often come with home ownership or you don't have to get it when you get your insurance, but you can buy into it. So that if my home floods, then that flood insurance would take care of that. And so the insurance piece of it is if you have a condition where something happens to your home, then you have insurance that will cover that. The home warranty would be the things that are inside of your home that might need some fixing or something that you might have to do or something that goes out that you might need to replace that you have coverage on. And so that's the difference between the insurance aspect of it, because you need to have your home insured. That's a must when buying a home that you have to have the insurance piece of it. The warranty is an option, but I would strongly recommend that you have a warranty to take care of some of those things that could happen or potentially happen that, again, may be unforeseen. Sarita, always giving us the clarity that we need. So warranties and home insurance, very different. 
Um, but you really should have both uh, to be safe. Now, this next one is a big one. It was a little bit harder to fit this one into the truth or myth neatly, but we find that often first-time buyers go into their home and feel like, I did it, I bought my forever home. In your experience, how common is it that people usually buy that one home and stick it out until the end of time? So I would say it's not as common as one would think. I think, you know, probably, and, and I'm going to say this, I wouldn't even say when my parents brought their home, but I would say probably when their parents bought, it might have been a forever home because you hear a lot about um, when your great, great grandparents pass away, then you are, you know, they leave the home to their kids and so on and so forth. But I would say right. today, that's a little bit of a myth uh, because what tends to happen is um, your situation may change. And so I might go into my first home as a, a, a single woman going into my first home and I purchase, but then I get married. Then we want to buy something together. That happened to my husband. My husband bought what I think he might have thought was going to be his forever home when he was single. But then when he married me, I wanted to kind of upgrade in that home. And, and, and then again, we're thinking about having children now and so on and so forth. So maybe that three bedroom, two bath was pretty good for him, but now we need to move up to a four or five based on, you know, just the growth of our family. Um, and so again, based on circumstances, um, you can definitely switch out and not and not have a forever home. And then, you know, even when I think about just the market conditions over the last three to four years, the market was so good at the time where your home values went up. And even though you might have thought that it was going to be a forever home, now you had an opportunity to really kind of go out and buy an even better forever home for yourself just because of the market conditions and the fact that it was a it was a seller's market. Now it's tr turning more into a buyer's market. But back then it was a seller's market. And so some people were just putting their homes up and then obviously getting big dollars for it and then able to go out and get more, um, more of a home for themselves. So again, I think the forever, Forever home, a myth is definitely a myth uh, because I think that there's opportunities <laughs> based on your situation. Absolutely. Times, times have changed a lot. And so if you get to that point where you realize that this isn't your forever home, then you might start thinking about uh, the resale value of your home and the resale cost. Can you help us sort of wrap our, our heads around those two things? Yes. Um, so when you go in to this particular space and you purchase your first home, you definitely want to go in thinking about resale value. And I can only explain this with an example. I had a friend that bought his for, well, I wouldn't say it was his forever home, but he bought the home with the intentions of reselling. But when he purchased the home, he bought the home near a railroad track. And as a result of that, every morning at about 6 a.m., here's a train coming through. So the resale value for that home, he was having a difficult time and still having a difficult time trying to resell that home because of that train that comes through there. And so the decision that he had to make is because he couldn't resell it or he couldn't get the value of it that he put into it, he's now renting that property in order for him to be able to go off and be able to, I wouldn't say find his forever home, but to be able to upgrade into a newer home, maybe a bigger home as a result of that. So you do have to think about where you're buying. Um, you do have to think about the, uh, is the area desirable? All of those different things or whether or not the home has the 
the the the amenities that folks are looking for so that you can determine whether or not that resale value is going to be one where you're able to make money off of it or break even in some cases other than not being able to make what you put into the home. And so I think those are all things that you have to consider when you think about reselling a home, especially in this environment today. Thank you so much for the great information. Appreciate you humoring me and playing this little game of truth or myth. Now, before I let you go quickly, I have to ask um, if anyone is out there who's listening to this, they still feel really unsure about any part of the, of the home buying process, where can they go to get some more uh, reliable information? I would recommend that that they go to the Chase Homebuyer Education Center, which can be found on chase.com. And on that homebuyer center, there's a lot of information. There are tips for first-time homebuyers that you can see there. There are a host of articles that speak to every question that you asked me today. And so, therefore, you can go back and read up on some of those particular questions and, and get some of those answers. But there's a lot of information that speaks to the home buying process, the financing of a home, finding a home what you do when you own a home, and then how do you maintain your home after you own it? So again, I think there is every aspect of the home ownership journey on Chase Homebuyer Education Center. And so definitely feel free to visit. Um, you can get there by way of chase.com. Sarita, thank you so much again. I loved having you back uh, for season two. Always so much great advice. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. And I just appreciate this opportunity. Lots of great information for those that are interested in buying and for those that are looking to sustain homeownership as well. So thank you so much. I hope that cleared up some of those common misconceptions about home buying and home ownership, because like I mentioned before, it's really important to do the research and have all of the info from a reliable source. So join me next time as we consider the psychological impacts of homeownership. We'll ask that most essential question, can owning a home make you happier? Until then, you can learn more by visiting beginnertobuyer.com and consider revisiting the first season of the show as a review. Beginner to Buyer was created by Magnet Media and Chase Home Lending. Our executive producers are Ashley Bobo and Akash Baswani. Our lead producer is Pamela Lawrence and our media editor is Matthew DiPietro. This podcast is for educational purposes only and provides general home lending information. It is not intended to provide legal, tax, or financial advice or to indicate the availability or suitability of any J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., product, or service. Chase is also not responsible for and does not provide or endorse third-party products, services, or other content discussed in this podcast. For specific home lending advice about your circumstances, contact a Chase Home Lending Advisor for more information. If you'd like to check out the Home Buyer Assistance Finder, Chase My Home, the DreamMaker Mortgage, and other home buying tools and resources mentioned in this podcast, make sure to visit chase.com forward slash affordable.